Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. I think you've seen that trail for Baz Luhrmann's upcoming film, the biopic about Elvis. And I think you probably felt the same as me, which is that how hard is it to find an actor in a biopic who, who is actually convincing as the person that they're meant to be representing? Because the problem with Elvis Presley is that Elvis Presley was so blindingly, supernaturally, physically attractive, wasn't he? So you've got these moments where the actor kind of appears on stage and you've got to give, he's got to give the impression that he is generating a kind of um, thermonuclear uh, sexual magnetism so sufficient that uh, entire halls full of screaming girls are reduced to gibbering wrecks. And I'm not sure if that's... <laughs> it's terrible because I haven't seen the film, but you immediately get the, the, the feeling that this is going to be a challenge. Don't you feel like... <laughs> It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because this it stars is it Austin Butler as That's Elvis Presley, yeah, and Tom Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker, which he, is yeah, he looks pretty good. His Dutch accent is fantastic. Tom Hanks, yeah, as Colonel Tom Parker. Somehow you don't have any difficulty buying that at all. No, but but a kind of averagely good-looking young actor playing Elvis Presley, you you have huge difficulties with because. It's more than just he, Elvis was really good looking. It's he was Elvis. He was Elvis. <laughs> just one he was tiny Elvis. pelvic twitch and he becomes Elvis, doesn't he? You know? But, you know, you, you can't, you are an Elvis impersonator. It doesn't matter what level you're doing it at. You're an Elvis impersonator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually, the, the the best Elvis impersonator I ever saw is uh, was the late Andy Kaufman, wasn't it? Who uh, you yeah. know, who used to make it part of his act, who who could turn himself into Elvis. He was fantastic. By an extraordinary act of transfiguration. But but you know, you, you, the center of this movie is supposed to be the extraordinary appeal of Elvis Presley. And you just look at him and think, no, you're an actor. You're an actor. You're How not can you Elvis. And it's like, you know, you can't be Bob Dylan, can you? You no. couldn't be Michael Jackson. You but I think a lot of that's be... to do with, with your familiarity with that person. Because some people have sort of worked for me. 
I thought the Rocket Man movie d- didn't really well, it wasn't convincing as Elton John. It didn't really matter because it you're carried along by the story. I thought the same about Andy Serkis, actually, as, as Ian Deary. You never for a minute <laughs> believed that he was Deary. But it's a good, strong story. And the Freddie Mercury, too, uh, the, the Bohemian Rhapsody, which was on the telly last night, Dave. And I saw a bit of it for the first time and saw the bit where you appear. <laughs> <laughs> You've probably never seen it, have you? It I've never seen it. playing the part no. of David Hammond. He sits there looking like, uh, he looks like um, a Timmy Mallet, really. Timmy Mallet, that's <laughs> what I've been told. Glasses, <laughs> and you just sit beside this uh, this Bob Geldof lookalike and say nothing. It's quite funny. But no, there are various examples. But I think it works when you don't know the character well. Have you ever seen Control, the Anton Corbine film? about? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. I thought the guy who plays Ian Curtis in that yeah. was fantastic. Because yeah, I don't really, true. I never met Ian Curtis. No. I don't know no. anything about much about Ian Curtis and therefore whatever he wanted to put across I kind of believe was real and he also he also wasn't seen that much Ian Curtis no, was he wasn't. during his, his brief life in the spotlight he wasn't on telly all the time no no like he that. wasn't absolutely you just weren't familiar with him and, I, and the same as Sissy Spacek I think coal miner's daughter I mean I I don't I really had no idea about Loretta Lynn so I just kind of went along with it and Forrest Whitaker is as uh, Charlie Parker, there is. I mean, there, there's one or two. There's one or two. I thought were really brilliant. I thought "Walk the Line" was fantastic. Did you see that with Joaquin yeah, yeah. Phoenix as uh, Johnny Cash and Reese Witherspoon? And they, a, they looked like them. B, they, they kind of had this appeared to have a real attraction for each other. And they also they sing. They sing these songs themselves, not miming, and they're fantastic. I think, but it's rare, isn't it? It's a big challenge to try and convince anybody. That you are a sufficiently Elvis Presley, <laughs> Elvis Presley, <laughs> Elvis Presley particularly. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. have to say, I I am interested in seeing it when it comes out because oh, I'm, I'm really sure, yeah. I'm really interested in Tom Parker. And so, if Tom Hanks is playing Tom Parker, clearly Tom Parker is going to be a huge part of the story. And the story of Tom Parker is let's not forget if anything more interesting than the story of Elvis Presley it's fantastic (laughs) this man who was potentially a fugitive from international justice (laughs) while while managing the biggest rock phenomenon in the world you know was uh, completely never stopped being an absolute cheapskate (laughs) chiseler absolutely every step of the way i think a film about the colonel has the potential to be more interesting than a film about elvis presley it is astonishing as a narrative you know that uh, more happened in colonel tom parker's life oddly enough than happened in elvis presley anyway enormous numbers of legends have grown up about him dying canaries a different color or something to put them in his carniac well oh that he used to the dancing chickens where he used to have them uh, dancing on a on a hot plate which may have explained why they uh why they dance but he was you know he was a carny he was a he was and he never lost that you know that he used to when elvis was announcing these latest las vegas residences you know in the in the 70s and t- Colonel Parker would be would be there at the press conference selling eight by ten glosses of Elvis yeah. Presley, selling them. This <laughs> is the man whose who, merchandise included. I think I hate Elvis uh, buttons, and I love Elvis buttons. Every he every didn't miss the bell badge. I mean, every 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 base covered. It's fantastic. Yeah, but I think so that's, that's coming in the summer. Go on. No, I was going to say I think it's interesting because we we were talking the other day about. Um, about how much it matters uh, with with movies supposedly based on truth that they are true, 
you know, I think that's a really, I think it's a really interesting issue. It's happening more and more now because it certainly is. It's happening because of streaming TV is making it, it is is taking what was already yeah. a, a, a big phenomenon in, into something much bigger. You know that. Um, you know, for instance, the most recent cases I saw there, I just finished watching Inventing Anna, which is Netflix's latest thing uh, based on the true story or based on a true story of uh, the young woman who hoodwinked apparently New York smart society into, into free hotel rooms and, you know, and private jets and all this kind of stuff on the basis that she was supposed to be uh, an heiress. Uh, which he wasn't, uh, and and they made a very good um, eight part thriller about this, really, which I think is very well done. But it starts with the disclaimer: all of this is a true story, apart from the bits, bits we, that we made, made up, up. <laughs> which they which they keep putting in at every stage in the story in increasingly arty fashion. Every time they do it, they just want to keep stressing this. Um, and That's so it's idea. quite, it, well, it is kind of. And so the question I have to you, and this applies to, you know, to to this this series, Inventing Anna, and also it, it went through my mind after I watched the film Belfast, and uh, and it went through my mind after you and I watched the, um, the, the documentary film about the rescue of the, the boys, the football the team from the, from the tunnel. Disaster, yeah, yeah it, it, it caves and so forth. Which is, you watch all these things, you are encouraged to watch them on the basis that they are true or they are based on a true story. And if you get involved, you reach a point quite soon where you think, now, do I stop this and look on Wikipedia to see how much of this is true? Or do I just go along with it? And wait till I get to the end. Do you know what I mean? Because well, you have it depends that. on how much they advertise the fact that it's a true story. Because I mean, I can remember you know realizing early on that there were certain films, you know, Dog Day Afternoon and Midnight Express, and even kind of Cabaret and Butch Cassidy. You kind of you enjoyed them, but you enjoyed the fact also that they were based on true stories. That gave them some heft. And and it's interesting that I read a piece in the Guardian the other day saying that critics tend to be much kinder about things that because they seem more substantial if they're based on truth. Audiences love them, and also awards, award shows, constantly rewarding things that are based on true stories, not just kind of froth and entertainment. But with a thing like Belfast, I mean, I didn't approach that thinking this is going to be wildly factually accurate. This is a story about um, it's it, it's the emotional relationship of a family set against the kind of backdrop of the troubles. And I mean, actually, it's all pretty much true, isn't it? I mean, he did, you know, it starts with that, with that d depiction of the, um, the burning of Bombay Street, you know, which is the big, the first riot with the, uh, you know, explosive devices being thrown through windows. And that's the, that's the pivot in the life of Kenneth Branagh's family that makes them a few months later or a year later move to, 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 to the mainland. So I didn't look at that and think, well, is it true? Did you go back and start Googling, Kenneth Branagh's well, I life. did. I was, I, I was just intrigued, uh, you know, because I, I, I always knew he came from Belfast. But I didn't know any detail at all. You know, I thought I had this person who grew up in Belfast end up talking like <laughs> the way he talks and all that kind of thing. I was just interested in when in his yeah. life happened. I'm not accusing any of me of dishonesty or anything like that. It's just if you if you if you're engaged with a piece of entertainment that is based on factual 
matter, the natural thing is to go and look in the factual matter. And it's just at what stage in the proceedings do you do it? Belfast, I'm in the cinema watching it. And, you know, it's only when I go home, I look it up. Whereas eight-part Netflix series, you think, I've watched three. I like it. Do I spoil it for myself? by going and checking whether it's true or do I go all through all the way through to the end and then look and, you know, and, uh, it's, it's, I've not it's seen this, but they, they really do stretch it down there. At one point, doesn't she steal a plane? Is that right? No, but that is, apparently, that is apparently true. That oh, right, that's true. And so I've got, I've got, I suppose I have a slight problem with all of these things, which is this. It's very good drama, it, and, I'm, and I really would recommend anybody to watch it. It's really well done and really well acted, and uh, and it's very engaging. Um, but if I was, if I had a choice between watching that and reading a really good factual book about what actually happened, I think I'd probably prefer the book because I don't need for it to be made into massive drama to find it attractive. And and to find it interesting, you know what I mean. Yeah. I don't mind all the loose ends, but you know, screen entertainment has to has to package things in a certain way, and 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 you know, and to, to make it fit into the standard narratives of of uh, feature films. Another one which I saw a trailer of when I went to see Belfast, uh, Belfast is the Duke, which is coming soon, starring Helen Mirren and Jim Broadbent, and this is again based on a true story of of a chap. That's a fantastic stole. story. Stole the Duke of Wellington painting by Goya from what the National Gallery? Yeah, in 1965, wasn't it? He stole and uh, stole it in order to to give the money to help people, old pensioners, who couldn't pay their TV licenses. So it was a really selfless act, you know. But an amazing story, and that's an example of people going back now. There must be a whole industry of people going back into the past and looking at great true stories because they're so commercial that can be made into films. Don't you think? I mean, I, there's a story, a similar story that happened in 1911. There's an Argentinian guy um, uh, uh, organized the, the, the bribed somebody in the Louvre to steal the Mona Lisa. Do you remember hearing this story? And the reason he'd done it, it's a fantastic story, is that he was a forger and he had painted loads of forgeries of the Mona Lisa. And he wanted to develop a market for his fake Mona Lisas being sold to people who thought they were true, were real, because the real one was now off the market. That's brilliant. It's a fantastic story. That's Why brilliant. Why has market. nobody made a film about that? It's on its way. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Actually, one thing that struck me about inventing Anna is this yet another uh, another one of those um, films that, that that gives you a wildly distorted um, picture of what are the, what is the journalist's life, <laughs> where they all magazine journalists in in these in these films always work in luxurious offices, you know, and kind of have expense accounts and large apartments and so forth. None of which is ever borne out in real life. Actually, one of the uh, one of the most interesting things in inventing Anna hinges on the idea that something like sixty thousand dollars is charged to a Vanity Fair credit card. Yeah, the idea that <laughs> that those things I'm even just... exist, you know, which are very rare, and that you could rack up sixty thousand dollars without somebody noticing is preposterous, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, but it, it makes a very good drama in the uh, in the film. Anyway, I was thinking about this particularly this week because uh, we saw the the announcement of the of the of the demise of uh, Entertainment Weekly, the American 
Entertainment Weekly, which hasn't been weekly for a long time. I think no, they turned it monthly, monthly a while ago. And we always used to look at Entertainment Weekly back in the day, didn't we? I used to think, it's full of really good stuff. You know, this is a you know, high-frequency title that, that kept, kept track of everything going on in TV, films, to a lesser extent music, you know, particularly TV and films. And it was very slickly done and always had fabulous pictures and loads and loads of research and stories and so forth. And everybody in British magazines used to look at this, this magazine with one thought going through their mind, which is, how the bloody hell does this possibly make, make a profit any money on any all. level? <laughs> at all. <laughs> because particularly when you know what you know about the American I magazine know. market, this is back in the day, which is... They effectively give away the subscriptions in order to get the, get the, the rate base up, as they can, as they say, Absolutely. to charge more from the advertisers. Yeah, and uh, and I still wanted. I mean, Entertainment Weekly must I don't know, was it thirty, forty years or something like that. It had, and they it finally closed. You know, uh, I was closed as a paper product uh, last week, and I still want to know at what stage in its life did it ever. Make bean one. Bean I one. Find it, I find it hard to believe that they ever did that. And if so you what did, a great well, place hats to work. Off to it. Oh, absolutely. Nobody wanted to close those magazines. I worked very briefly in men's fashion titles. I know, I know. And it just struck me that there were people who would literally come in at 11 o'clock in the morning with a terrible hangover, spend an hour and a half opening up jiffy bags full of free things, usually <laughs> usually die-cast James Bond cars, you know. Then they go out for a very, very long lunch with some uh, advertiser, come back three o'clock in the afternoon, have a snooze, and then prepare to go out to whatever fashion show they were going to in the evening. And you thought, that's a nice life. You know, they were talking about sourcing. If you were going away for the weekend, you would source a vintage car that you could drive and a hotel you could stay in, some golf clubs you could use, and free access to a golf course. You think this is an amazing life? Never Nobody happened to, to you or this. me. I Never know, happened I know. to you. Never happened to me. No, I, I think there's a strong case for saying that you know, the, 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 a lot of the American magazine market, the American luxury magazine market, particularly, largely existed to furnish its employees with a really pleasant lifestyle. You know, that, that, was, that was the main priority. Absolutely. The things that actually made the money were very often far less glamorous titles that were actually bought by by real people, you know, but uh, there's a, it, it, it's, it's kind of inevitable as a result of films like Inventing Anna that people will run away with the idea that um, that that magazines are like the one that she reputedly worked. Yeah, with. But, um, the devil wears. That's prom. not the case. Absolutely. Yeah, the devil wears. That's yes. I don't, is that still going on? I do I not know. Yeah. Anyway, we're, were we talking to? I can't remember. We were talking to about, about this the other day. Do you still get free records? Who were we asking about this? One oh, of our was guests, Alexis Petridis, wasn't it? Alexis Petridis, yeah. yes. You still get a jiffy bag full of free CDs every day. He said, "No, sadly not. You just get, you know, you just get a stream. You know, you're sent a link, which allows you to access a stream where you can hear, hear something to um, to review it." But we're also talking to. Uh, uh, I wanted to just follow. Up. <laughs> we're talking to Will Hodgkinson um, a couple of weeks ago. This is now Will. Will's the the Times music man, and he told a very good story about how he arranged the music for his wedding. Um, and the, the, oh, it was um, fantastic, wasn't it? That, that he, he, his, his bride... His bride's called Jane, called Jane, wasn't she? Jane, and, called Jane. And he wanted and he the, picked the, out, 
Lady Jane. Jane. That's right. By by one of the Rolling Stones from Aftermath, and uh, and and tragically, he queued up the wrong track, and it ended up being yes, you guessed it, under my thumb. With very uh, bad start to the wedding reception. Well, that prompted friend of the pod, Owen Parker, to get in touch and say that uh, back in his teens, he used to work in a local wedding venue in Kent, which had a license to do civic ceremonies. And uh, he was a musician, and therefore they gave him the job of, uh, I was promoted to the hallowed position of pressing play on the CD player during the ceremony. Now, I'm saying if you really think about this, this is terrifying responsibility, isn't it? I mean, you think about that. Oh, you, t- t- I mean, getting it wrong, even if it's not a terrible track, if it's just the one they didn't choose, they'd be mortified. So here we go. One particular wedding, I was up on the mezzanine, he says, looking down at the assembled throng of guests. Good picture painting this. Yeah, yeah. I picked up the three CDs that had been laid out for me next to the CD player. And they had yellow post-it notes on each CD with the track number scrawled in biro. I teed up track whatever on Christerberg's greatest hits. And yes, it was the lady Lady in red. red. So (laughs) the doors flew open to reveal the bride resplendent in red. (laughs) And so, so he played it, you know, and that was fine. So uh, says the next piece of music during the signing of the forms, the registrar's forms, was as boring as it could be. It was air on a G-string from a classic FM promotion. <laughs> I can imagine that. Now, he says, the finale. As they approached their triumphant exit, I picked up the third CD. 40 Licks. 40 Licks, <laughs> compilation of the Rolling Stones. Post-it note said, CD1, track eight. I look at the track listing. Oh, shit. Track eight, CD1 is under my thumb. So you can imagine him sweating. <laughs> it can't be this. So he checks post-it note again and checks track eight on CD2, which is, you got me rocking. Well, it can't be that. It must be under my thumb. So he pressed play. Fearing the worst. Song starts. Bride shouts loudly. Well, he bloody well is now, isn't he? I say saunter out. So so that was a happy conclusion to that story. There are times when you can play that thing and it works, apparently. Yeah. But but you know, the idea that if you if you're gonna provide music for a, a wedding or a funeral or anything like this. That you would you would place yourself so much in the hands of whoever operated the CD machine that you would provide them with a compilation album, which has let's say twenty tracks. Therefore, there's nineteen chances it can be wrong. If you think about it, yes. Why wouldn't you give them yeah. the, the, the track you want why, them to play? Why wouldn't you just burn the track exactly. on one CD so that nothing can go yeah. wrong? I would just be, you know, I'd be having kittens if I felt I'd given that kind of responsibility to somebody else, you know. Uh, the, the, you know, do it yourself. Rocky start. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. So, anyway, uh, another thing further to Will Hodgkins, I'll chat with Will because I think the piece of music he had played for him 
at, at the wedding was "Love's Forever Ch- Ever Changes," wasn't it? it I was. think it was. That's how. That's how it was. Yeah, it, and uh, more again. I think yeah. entered the con- conversation. Yeah, and more again, and um, and I think he also chose it as his um, as his best CD of all time. And then and then we all we raised the 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 you know the um, point that we make again and again, which is. I don't particularly like forever changes my love. So this has now become a, such a kind of transgressive thing to say. <laughs> People always want me to do presentations on why don't you like forever changes my love? And so following the podcast, they got people go in touch and go and explain why you don't like forever changes as if, you know, as if I've, as if I'm against fresh air or small children. It is, no, it's, well, like it's sacrilegious, isn't it? It's, 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 <laughs> Completely wrong, apparently. Well, Go on, the platform is well, yours, Dave. Because the funny thing is, after we'd done that that thing, I did what I do every two years, which is I got out a copy of Forever Changes and listened to it to see if my view of it has changed. You know, and um, and I listened to it, and uh, my view of it is largely the same as it always was, which is very good. It's very good. But it just leaves me cold, <laughs> and it struck me that that it it's, it, it it points out something about our relationship with music. That I told us alike. If if I met a load of your friends, well, I know a load of your friends anyway. But if you introduce yeah. me to fifty of your friends from a standing start, I'm sure I would get on with forty eight of them, <laughs> you know, yeah. and. Uh, and then, then there might be one person I get on with very well. And then there'll be loads of other people who think, well, that's fine. Yeah, it seems perfectly nice people, but I don't feel any great kind of bond with them. I don't feel yeah. any kinship with them. And so your relationship with music is like that. That if you don't feel the emotional connection and the bond, nothing that music does is going to make any difference at all. And that's the way I am about forever changes. So did you? I don't want to spend any time with them. Never. So you never. When it came out, you didn't sit there and think this is extraordinary. No, not ever. It it always kind of left me a bit cold. I can admire it. I can. I don't. I I can understand why people love it. I think I can understand it, but I don't feel that bond with it. You know, and so here's. I've been thinking about this a lot. And here's a further extension of, the, of this argument, which is relates to our relationships with all our favorite bands. All bands are ludicrous. They're utterly ludicrous. And you can all identify the different ways in which they're ludicrous. They're rolling stands. They're just pretending. You know what I mean? Oasis. They're not really that drunk. King Crimson. They're really pretentious. You know, you, you can supply that. Or in, in in the case of just about every band in the world, you can supply. And if they're the not ludicrous, they're why... probably not very interesting. Yeah, okay. They're, so let's assume they're ludicrous. But those that you have a bond with, you forgive their ludicrousness straight away as part of the deal. You know, you just you don't factor it in anymore because you kind of love them. Yeah. And, and my problem about love is I don't love them. And therefore, that prevents me 
entering into whatever it is that they do. Do you see what I mean? I do completely. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yo, you're right, because you're forgiving them. Because as you say, they, they, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the incredible string band or somebody. Goes, of course they're ludicrous, but they're not of ludicrous they're to ludicrous. me. Because I kind of accepted everything they do as being absolutely fine. You're so right. You just invent rules that suit certain things and don't suit others. So you've excluded you love. Yeah, just just because I don't have that kind of sense of fraternity with them, you know. Uh, whereas the bands you have that sense of fraternity with, you'll forgive absolutely anything they they do, because you know it's like friendship. It's not a rational thing. It's a it's a kind of warm thing, isn't it? Yeah. That that you know, and, and go back to your hundred mates, the one that I really got on with. I couldn't be able to write down why I did. I just did. Um, and so, you know, people always want, always want to feel that, that, particularly about music, they always want to feel they can persuade you to like something that they like. No, they can't. No, they can't. And- not, no, not remotely, because you have a completely different emotional sensibility. And you can't change that overnight to suddenly become a wild Dexys Midnight Runners fan or whatever, it isn't just isn't going to work. No, not any more than, you know, if you took a friend along to them and said, you're going to really like so and so. Your back's got up really And quickly. the more they tell you to like them, the more uh, opposed to the concept you are anyway. There is a wonderful episode of Frasier um, where Frasier's radio programme is, um, is put before a focus group and Frazier, because he can't resist, goes along and watches through the one-way yes. mirror, you know. Yeah. And so most of the listeners are going, yeah, I like him. You know, he's fine. He's great. And then there's just one guy in the, fra- <laughs> the focus group goes, I don't like him. Why not? I just don't like him. No, you've got to be able to tell me more. No, I just don't like him. And so the whole episode is about how Frazier pretty much follows this guy home. Yes. He does. To get he's him agonized to he just agonized because he can't face the fact that this guy just doesn't like him. And so, and and underneath 
all of entertainment, underneath everything, underneath all our post-rationalized views about why we like things, that's going on, which is, I like them or I don't like them, you know, and it's, it, it's not susceptible to reason at all, that process, you know. So that's me with love and no doubt you with somebody else and no doubt people listening with loads and loads of, you know, of their own personal examples. And all I'm saying is be comfortable with it. Don't worry about it. It doesn't make any difference whether I like love or not. It hasn't in any way impaired the legend at all. And I wouldn't wish to, to spoil anybody's enjoyment of forever changes or anything. It's just in my defense, <laughs> I do at least go and listen to these things every two years to see if I've changed my mind. And I don't think a lot of people do that. You know? I listened to it yesterday. Um, I, I always liked that record, but it struck me that I still only connect really with my old teenage self. That I never kind of, I never, I never kept that record with me all my life. And I think a lot of the reason for that was it's very kind of nebulous and very woolly. It's got that lovely, it's got a lovely sound, that record, doesn't it? It's a kind of symphonic psychedelic sound, which is really original and amazing. But it's about the most nebulous things. Lyrics about kind of, I'm wrapped in my armour, but my things are material and I'm lost in confusions. Does that does that immediately have any kind of impact these days? I don't know if it does. It was just it's uh, not as good. It's not as good as it was a teenage wedding. The old folks wish them well. Is it really? It's just it doesn't doesn't roll off no, my tongue anyway. No, absolutely. The word podcast. Fix yourself a drink, and it's like being in the pub. Right. Well, here we are. Welcome to uh, another a birthday party, actually, because it's more than one birthday uh, birthday celebrant. Uh, this week we've got we got David David Carroll. How are you doing, David? In West London, you're right. I'm very well, David. Thank you. And uh, and Adrian, where are you, Adrian? Um, just outside Croydon. Hey, right, okay, so very are, are either of you actually celebrating a birthday today? No, mine was on Thursday. Right. right. Very good. Yeah. Anything exciting happen? Not at my age, no. <laughs> I, I decided long ago that actually birthdays don't really count unless they fall on the weekend. That's fair enough. Okay, fair enough. Okay, what about you, Adrian? Did you have a, a full programme of activities? We did. We did. Uh, I mean, my birthday's actually coming up um, this week, but the shebang that we organised was a trip to Leeds because um, we quite like going to Opera North. Things like that. Very nice. Oh, right. I was saying. You went to to Leeds to the opera. To the opera. What did you see at the opera? Um, we we booked two. One was one was Carmen, and one was uh, Alcina, sort of Handel opera. So very very different, but um, just amazing. It's an amazing company. So God, this is quite a highbrow conversation for word in your ear, Dave. Isn't it? (laughs) Well, and we also packed in a visit to see the um. The Barbara Hepworth exhibition at the Hepworth oh, um, well, gallery. Oh, my, uh, my gallery. Barbara. I mean, I came back to the email from Alex and I hadn't realised I'd kind of got maximum Hepworth, you know, sort of in, one, <laughs> in one week. Well, I'll tell you a funny thing. My, my sister um, was also called Barbara Hepworth and also went to the same school as oh, right. the sculptor Barbara Hepworth, which is... Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. So, look, what we what we traditionally do on these on these occasions, traditional, I say, we've only been doing it a few weeks, 
um, is ask people if they'd like to like to nominate anything for the agenda or anything where you know I've got a question or any observation you care to make. David, let's go with you first. What have you got? Well, I'm uh, one of the things I love about the podcast is it it so often brings up music that I might never have listened to, and I get dragged into all sorts of rabbit holes to go and investigate stuff. And I just I had a couple of thoughts. Um, is there sort of an album or two that you guys think has ever been sort of particularly undervalued or never quite achieved what it should have? I'm, I'm always intrigued to hear good albums that never quite got the airplay that they otherwise might have. And equally kind of related to that, are there any sort of artists that you've rediscovered or reconnected with in the last sort of, you know, year or two during all this lockdown stuff? Oh, well, who wants to go first, Mark? That's do you want to tricky. go first? I've reconnected a bit with John Fay. Dave and I have talked about him. It's wonderful, wonderful sly guitar player, old blues guitar player. I've listened to a bit of him. Um, what else, what have you just do, Dave? I just, I've listened to, as I keep droning on about. I've listened to tons of jazz in the last yeah yeah yes I've in the last Miles year Davis, or yeah. so. Uh, I listen to a lot of instrumental music, but I listen to all kinds of things really. And I, I've gone through phases of kind of rediscovering or uh, reconnecting with things like the Incredible String Band, you know, which. Because, you know, I suppose, and this relates to your first point, you know, is there anything that, that, that didn't get a fair shake? Well, yes, I'm sure there was. But I suppose the view I've come to is everything gets a fair shake eventually. It may take absolutely years. John Fay being a classic case. Yes. You know, these records made in the late 60s, early 70s. Guy who died, I don't know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, certainly. Um and, you know, all that stuff just remains in the present nowadays, doesn't it? Thanks to streaming services and YouTube and the ease of the ease of pursuing any interest in anybody. Uh, and so everything eventually gets kind of a fair shake. But also, oddly enough, you get things that are, that are so popular, they seem to be overexposed to the point of nausea. And then they go through a long period where nobody plays them at all. And then you can suddenly re rediscover them and, and find new delights in them. And my live example of that is Phil Collins. Phil Collins, you know, he was so overexposed at the point of you know, face value and all those records. You just couldn't escape them. And uh, now if you're going to listen to them, they still sound remarkably fresh. Uh, and you find delights on those records that you probably didn't notice at the time because they were kind of there was too much emphasis on the hit single and so forth, you know. So there's, you know, my point is there are records you can discover that you already own. Yeah, that's I, th I think that's true of the 1980s. I think there's a lot of stuff from the 80s and early 90s, which there was such a volume of music out there that you kind of probably didn't listen to it enough. But you go back as you say with Phil Collins and listen to some of that stuff now and you think, wow, actually. This is pretty good. Oh, absolutely. What and have also you rediscovered? Go on. So Go for on. me, I mean, there's, there's um, from the 80s, there was a whole cadre of sort of Scottish rock and indie bands. And there's one in particular called Love and Money um, that were around. I think they had four or five albums out. But they've got, there's one album that I just, I must have played it about 20 times in the last six months called Strange Kind of Love. And, and when I went and sort of thought, I must find out a bit more about this, you then suddenly discover that it had a guest appearance from the drummer from Toto. And I think, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Donald Fagan was also party to the production and had an unwritten credit on it. And, 
And you just think this is an amazingly polished album for something that came out in the 80s. Brilliantly crafted songs. Do you know that, Dave? I've heard of them. Yeah, I've heard them many years ago. But what surprised me there is, did they make four albums? They probably did, actually. I'm not arguing with you at all. But it's amazing that this group's made four albums and not a not a ripple on the pond. No, no that's right. That was the economy got... at the time that you could. Now you make probably... one album, they'd be booted out, wouldn't you? Yeah, they charted, I think, in the lower end of the charts. But, you know, I think they had some success touring as a support act with people like Tina Turner and, and various others over the time. But, yeah, you kind of listen to some of their albums and think, my goodness, this was really polished stuff. When a lot of the stuff in the 80s was quite thin music or thin musically. Uh, possibly, yeah. Well, but here's the point. Everything nowadays lives forever. It's all <laughs> it's all twirling around in space forevermore. You know? You're never going to miss it. Somebody eventually picks up the, you know, the, the, the distant signal from a from a distant star, and eventually, forty years after everybody's dead, somebody out there hears something, and it ends up getting sampled, and, you know, yeah. turned into some some kind of hip hop hit or whatever. That's happened know. to Phil Collins, actually, wasn't it? I mean, you know, all abs- all those, yeah, absolutely. All happened those to Phil Collins. I tell you, what, a strange thing. I was thing I was reading this morning. Was that the the great voguish drum sound of the of the of the eighties and, and the nineties and so forth? Was the John Bonham drum sound? Its popularity coincided with the death of John Bonham. You know, mm. he died. Then the drum sound became really famous and still is really famous. It is. And he's probably more famous now than ever before. No, it's an extraordinary thing. So you know, that's my point. You know, this stuff lives forevermore, and uh, and. Uh, and the record, the next record you can fall in love with is something you already own, and you probably haven't listened to it for for. You may not yeah. even listen to it at all. So interesting point, yeah. Adrian. What about you? Have you got anything well, you'd like to run up the flagpole? Well, I was just going to come back to something that you know on David's point, which was that um, sorry, David David C, um, which which was uh, I think I think kind of two things probably happened a bit to me and perhaps lots of other people mentally during lockdown which is you know you had that little bit more time to explore so you go a bit more you go a bit deeper into whatever it was you were listening to or had discovered but also and maybe this is a bit more unusual that there's something about not really being able to do very much or go out of the house um which made me reconnect mentally very much with being a teenager in my bedroom and having having quite sort of restrictions you know, on my time, uh, on, on my activities. And so I found myself listening to a lot of, going back to a lot of the music that I was listening to when I was growing up, um, popular or otherwise. I mean, you know, Ultravox or something would be an obvious example, one of my favourite bands when I was growing up. So did um, you, usually those things fall into two categories. One is the records you listen to that you heard when you were a teenager that you could only access through your teenage mind. And the others is stuff that you've kind of grown older with and still has some relevance today. Do you find that? I, I do. I find it difficult to kind of, um, and, and I mean, since I got into classical music, it's been a lot like this, is that I do find it difficult to compartmentalise because I keep hearing bits in certain genres that remind me of bits in other genres and stuff like that. So it actually gets harder and harder to keep an organised brain about it all, <laughs> you know, yeah. than, than, than easier. Um but yeah, so one of the th- one of the things I find overwhelmingly about some of the music I go back to is that it's stranger than I remember. 
you know the in the in the eighties you know I think you know like when I was in my early teens um to me it was all just you know it came to me as pop music and you know it's only when you you know and and then when you listen to sort of album tracks even by bands like you know Duran Duran who just felt to me like a sort of you know cheerful pop band at the time you go back and play some of the records and you know you hear something like the chauffeur I think very differently when you're you know my age than than when I was about mm. like, you know right 13 13 or 13 or 14 I mean that's just an example that popped into my head but you know um I've been going back to a lot of that that 80s music oh uh, right um, yeah I had that funny enough recently with Japan which was a band at yeah. the time I never Great really problem. sort of got but yeah. actually you listen to some of their tracks and they're just extraordinary I mean gentlemen take Polaroids and I think wow what a what a fantastic mm. song I suppose it just relates to the fact that you only have so much brain space, don't you? You only have so much mental bandwidth to take in all this stuff. And, uh, you know, if there were no new records for the next five years, I'm sure musicians wouldn't like it and studios wouldn't like it, record companies wouldn't like it. I don't think it'd affect, it wouldn't affect me very much at all. You could catch up. There's tons and yeah, tons exactly. of stuff to catch up. If all you did was identify one year in the past and, and went and looked into the records of that year, you'd find a staggering amount of stuff that either you've never heard or you've never heard while in the appropriate state of mind to be receptive towards it. Yeah. And I know this is the thing I keep on droning on about, that the state of mind is the important thing. It's not the music. There's tons of music. There'll always be tons of music. It's you. You only have a certain amount of brain. Go back to my brain space point. You know, to to devote to listening to music in a in a kind of committed way. And and it's that time, as Adrian sort of alluded to, to sit down and actually listen to an album from start to finish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and spend that 40, 45 minutes listening to every track on the album. And you actually realise that some albums were, were brilliantly put together just in terms of the sequence of songs and that there was clearly a thread running through them that you think, actually, they knew what they were doing. It wasn't just a random, we've got 10 tracks, let's just bung them on and Can album. you think of an example of that? Well, I just think some of the, you know, so the one that sticks out for me is something like um, Aladdin Sane by Bowie. You just think the way that that sort of every single track, the sequence just feels absolutely right. Mm. Um and, and it's having the time to listen to it. And now, actually, it's one of those albums I find very hard to just dip in and out of. You almost have to put it on to listen to it because it is the whole experience. And presumably what everybody's done in the last two years is we've spent far less time listening to music on the move than we yeah. would have done in the two years before that. Because that's when most people listen, isn't it? They're commuting. Or they're, so you're not nearly as distracted. Yeah, that's right. It's a totally different... You know, because when you're listening to music on the move, you, you're listening to music to keep out the world on <laughs> your kind of thing, uh, rather than particularly listening to the music. You know, you're using it as a bit of a soundtrack to your to your moving about in space. Yeah. Right? Also, I find one of the joys of vinyl is it's actually much harder to skip tracks because you oh, actually course. physically have to get up. Jeez. Whereas actually, when you're streaming something or it's on a, oh, no, it's phone, a you just fast forward or skip or randomize it somehow, which you can't do yeah. with vinyl. No, 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 absolutely not. Unless you want to, you want to risk an appalling scratch. You know, if you're, yes, uh, if you're, if you're not handling too well, things too well. <laughs> well, look, 
Thank you very much, gentlemen, for uh, food for thought for us and for the rest of the massive. Uh, all the very best in your birthday week. David, you've already had yours. Adrian, you've got yours to come. And uh, so, you know, happy birthday to both of you. And uh, we'll see you, see you on the road. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. Uh, I was joined by Alex. Who are the greatest tambourine players in, in popular music? Liam oh, Gallagher. Um, well, Stevie <laughs> Nicks always famously had her tambourine taped up so it didn't make any noise. Is that right? <laughs> there was Mick. Mick used to Mick. play the tambourine. Uh, I'm trying to think which records Mick used to play the tambourine on, early ones. Yeah. Do you know the other great... There's, there's a prominent tambourine on Satisfaction. Okay, well, maybe that he did Mick? that on... Ta- uh, you probably would be. Maybe Great, uh, Maddie. <laughs> yeah, come on, <laughs> Phil May. Phil May from the Pretty Things. Yes, and uh, didn't Roger am I not Roger Daltrey? That okay, you're probably right. You're it probably is, right. And um, was I? Was it? Does it ring a distant bell with me, Mark? That Roger Chapman out of family used to play the tambourine. Yeah, I think he did. He used yeah. to, he used, didn't he? Used to fling it out into the audience as, as his party trick. And people would fling it back. <laughs> <laughs> Limited amount of equipment at those That's great. That's great. So there we are. Who are the great the great tambourine players in rock? Um, please feel free to get in touch and tell us your um, additions to that uh, very select list. What's the email, Alex, plug. if anybody wants to do that? Oh, yeah, what's the, the email? email is wye dot london at gmail.com. Okay, simple we should that. plug um, various things we've got coming up. Uh, one of which is the John Ronson uh, word in your attic we did the other day, which is fantastic. The columnist and writer John Ronson, which is really good, I thought. And filmmaker yeah. and podcaster. And filmmaker. And oh, he's so good. There's a, there's a wonderful bit in it where he talks about joining Frank Sidebottom's band. And he says, it's such a great line. He says, uh, there is literally nothing more exciting for a 19-year-old than being in a van heading up the M1 next to a man wearing a papier-mâché head. <laughs> you just think it's really, really funny. Really and he has a great theory funny. about music being like uh, being like blue cheese, he says, which I really subscribe to. He says, uh, it's a bit like blue cheese. You only acquire a taste for certain things at a certain age. Your palate changes and they suddenly become, uh, you know, uh, uh, accessible. And I felt that about things like Captain Beefheart. You know what I mean? You just made no sense at all. It's a bit like... It's like, it's like Stilton. It's like oysters, isn't it? You know, it's like... It's like Tell st- me a, a side question about Captain Beefheart. Um, do you ever play Captain Beefheart when your good lady wife is in the house? No, we're in a million years. Not even in the house, no. Because <laughs> I would feel it was just wrong. I would no, wait for the door. Not even in Chiswick. Are you playing Captain Beefheart? Well, stop it. <laughs> someone, someone somewhere in this house is playing Captain Beefheart. <laughs> No, they're not. No, nothing, nothing. Nothing just... <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it reminds me, honestly, do you remember Eddie Izzard used to do that wonderful routine quite early on? Oh, it was about that cat Now when you, hear it, when you hear a cat purring, purring behind the sofa. It's not purring, it's drilling. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so you'd look over the back of the sofa and there'd be a cat going, just looking at you going, are you... Tr- <laughs> are you oh, drilling? it's just me. <laughs> as soon as you looked over, away, it put headphones on and picked up its drill. It's so brilliant. It's one of those jokes. I've never revisited that joke. 
And there must be 20 years since I heard it, Alex. I've never gone back to the routine to check that my memory of it is right because I wouldn't want it to be proved wrong. You know <laughs> I'm what I mean? Sure that's right. so what I remember is maybe making me laugh for 20 years, you know, every time I think about it. A cat behind the sofa drilling. I don't want to spoil it at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's uh, that's John Ronson. We've also who else we talked to? We've got Alexis Mike McCartney. Mike McCartney is up, Mike McCartney. with his bottle of uh, of efficacious medicinal, medicinal compound. compound. Yes. And we've got to come. We have Jane Savage, I think, and Alexis Petridis. All good. Absolutely, um, they'll be coming out soon. So lots of so stuff. it's all the more reason why you should you know. You know, get behind the wheel and uh, and help us in our uh, in our Herculean efforts by becoming a Patreon supporter. If you're not one already, and you know how to do that, you go to patreon.com word in your ear, and you'll be getting all this in full glowing color, uh, and you'll be getting it before anybody else does. Uh, who who has joined their throng in the last uh, in the last week or so, Alex? Anything you'd like to add? Well, you well, patrons, come on board. Whatever the Trying collective to find my noun, bosun's whistle. Go on. Whatever the connect, collective noun for a group of patrons is, uh, we, we we have it. Um, starting with a benefit. Alistair, a benefit Go of on. patrons. Alistair yeah. Farr. Hello, Excellent. Alistair. Nice We're to have you give on board. Little toot on the, oh, oh, toot on the harmonica. Cracking toot. Very good. Oh, yeah. Crack yeah. <laughs> John Francis. John, nice to see you, John. Go uh, on. Phil, Phil Turner and Paul Monaghan, who are both birthday patrons. Oh, uh, Phil, Phil and Paul, who will no doubt be catching up with on the occasion of their birthday. Go on. Neil Morris. Neil Morris. Hello, Neil. Rachel Beely. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Rachel. And Paddy Kelly. Fantastic. Paddy Very Kelly. nice to have well, you all. Nice to have you all on board. Actually, uh, you're playing the harmonica reminded me of this. Um, there's a new album out, Taj Mahal and uh, Rai Kudra have, have got together and oh, uh, fantastic. re-recorded the, uh, I wouldn't say the greatest hits of Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee. They but, have, you know, I saw that. Uh, um, and there's uh, there's a wonderful clip on on YouTube, which is obviously just shot in, uh, in <laughs> Alex's ship. On, on Alex's ship. It's, is it a back, is it abandoned ship, yes. Alex? Women and children <laughs> first. <laughs> abandoned it's ship. It's nothing to worry about. Everybody's it's safe. Women and, women and children first, really crew, funny. and then finally musicians, musicians. and then finally <laughs> Beatle Beatles impersonators. Yeah, yeah. Women and children. Have to swim for it. Women and children, musicians, bass players, then. Uh, <laughs> 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 so uh, yeah they they uh rai Kuda and taj mahal uh recorded in rai's living room with his son joaquin uh Kuda playing percussion which i always love actually because it is percussion it really adds something to it and uh i think rai Kuda's living room uh, recordings are uh are a hugely underrated source of uh, fantastic stuff. You can find it all They're over the beautiful. internet. There's loads of those. Beautiful. And, and such a nice sound. Really... A lovely sound. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely yeah. lovely sound. So, yeah, that's highly recommended. 
Uh, what else we got to talk about, Alex? Anything we've got to we've got to catch up with? Any any other business, or is that uh, the end? Well, we have the rabbit hole uh, first episode. Oh right! Oh yeah! Pictures, yeah it's down uh, the rabbit hole, yeah, we have our girl and I pursue our strange enthusiasms, uh, and that's only available to Patreon supporters. Oh, so if you're, not, if you're not one of their number, here's another reason why you really should be. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.